Volume Nine, Chapter Two of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Valley. Cecilia, Memoirs of Inheris by Francis Burney. Volume Nine. Chapter Two A Surprise Lady Margaret's town house was in Soho Square, and scarcely had Cecilia entered it before her desire to speed her departure made her send a note to each of her guardians acquainting them of her arrival and begging, if possible, to see them the next day. She had soon the two following answers. To Miss Cecilia Beverley, these. November 8, 1779. Miss, received yours of the same date, can't come tomorrow. Will, Wednesday, the 10th a.m. and see Briggs. Miss Cecilia Beverley to Miss Beverley Mr. Delvile has too many affairs of importance upon his hands to make any appointment till he has deliberated how to arrange them. Mr. Delvile will acquaint Miss Beverley when it shall be in his power to see her. St. James Square, November 8th These characteristic letters which at another time might have diverted Cecilia, now merely served to torment her. She was eager to quit town. She was more eager to have her meeting with Mr. Delvile over, who, oppressive to her even when he meant to be kind, she foresaw now he was in wrath, would be imperious even to rudeness. Desirous, however, to make one interview suffice for both, and to settle whatever business might remain unfinished by letters, she again wrote to Mr. Briggs, whom she had not spirits to encounter without absolute necessity, and, informing him of Mr. Delvile's delay, begged he would not trouble himself to call till he heard from her again. Two days passed without any message from them. They were spent chiefly alone and very uncomfortably. Mr. Monckton being content to see little of her, while he knew she saw nothing of anybody else. On the third morning, weary of her own thoughts, weary of Lady Margaret's ill-humoured looks, and still more weary of Miss Bennet's parasitical conversation, she determined for a little relief to the heaviness of her mind to go to her bookseller and look over and order into the country such new publications as seemed to promise her any pleasure. She sent, therefore, for a chair, and very glad to have devised for herself any amusement, set out in it immediately. Upon entering the shop, 
she saw the bookseller engaged in close conference with a man meanly dressed and much muffled up who seemed talking to him with uncommon earnestness and just as she was approaching said to terms i am indifferent for writing is no labour to me on the contrary it is the first delight of my life and therefore do not for dirty pelf i wish to make it my profession the speech struck cecilia but the voice struck her more it was belfield's and her amazement was so great that she stopped short to look at him without heeding a man who attended her and desired to know her commands the bookseller now perceiving her came forward and belfield turning to see who interrupted them started as if a spectre had crossed his eyes slapped his hat over his face and hastily went out of the shop cecilia checking her inclination to speak to him from observing his eagerness to escape her soon recollected her own errand and employed herself in looking over new books her surprise however at a change so sudden in the condition of this young man and at a declaration of a passion for writing so opposite to all the sentiments which he had professed at their late meeting in the cottage awakened in her a strong curiosity to be informed of his situation and after putting aside some books which she desired to have packed up for her she asked if the gentleman who had just left the shop and who she found by what he had said was an author had written anything that was published with his name no ma'am answered the bookseller nothing of any consequence he is known however to have written several things that have appeared as anonymous and i fancy now soon we shall see something considerable from him he is about some great work then why no not exactly that perhaps at present we must feel our way with some little smart jude spirit before we undertake a great work but he is a very great genius and i doubt not will produce something extraordinary whatever he produces said cecilia as i have now chanced to see him i shall be glad you will at any time send to me certainly ma'am but it must be among other things for he does not choose just now to be known and it is a rule in our business never to tell people's names when they desire to be secret he is a little out of cash just now as you may suppose by his appearance so instead of buying books he comes to sell them however he has taken a very good road to bring himself home again for we pay very handsomely for things of any merit especially if they deal smartly in a few touches of the times cecilia chose not to risk any further questions lest her knowledge of him should be suspected but got into her chair and returned to lady margaret's 
The sight of Belfield reminded her not only of himself. The gentle Henrietta again took her place in her memory, whence her various distresses and suspenses had of late driven from it everybody but Delvile, and those whom Delvile brought into it. But her regard for that amiable girl, though sunk in the busy scenes of her calamitous uncertainties, was only sunk in her own bosom, and ready upon their removal to revive with fresh vigour. She was now indeed more unhappy than even in the period of her forgetfulness, yet her mind was no longer filled with the restless turbulence of hope, which still more than despondency unfitted it for thinking of others. This remembrance thus awakened, awakened also a desire of renewing the connection so long neglected. All scruples concerning Delvile had now lost their foundation, since the doubts from which they arose were both explained and removed. She was certain alike of his indifference to Henrietta, and his separation from herself. She knew that nothing was to be feared from painful or offensive rivalry, and she resolved, therefore, to lose no time in seeking the first pleasure to which, since her disappointment, she had voluntarily looked forward. Early in the evening she told Lady Margaret she was going out for an hour or two, and sending again for a chair, was carried to Portland Street. She inquired for Miss Belfield, and was shown into a parlour, where she found her drinking tea with her mother, and Mr. Hobson, their landlord. Henrietta almost screamed at her sight, from a sudden impulse of joy and surprise, and running up to her, flung her arms round her neck, and embraced her with the most rapturous emotion. But then, drawing back with a look of timidity and shame, she bashfully apologized for her freedom, saying, Indeed, dearest Miss Beverly, it is no want of respect, but I am so very glad to see you, it makes me quite forget myself. Cecilia, charmed at a reception so ingeniously affectionate, soon satisfied her doubting diffidence by the warmest thanks that she had preserved so much regard for her, and doubling the kindness with which she returned her caresses. Mercy on me, madam, cried Mrs. Belfield, who during this time had been busily employed in sweeping the hearth, wiping some slops upon the table, and smoothing her handkerchief and apron. Why, the girl's enough to smother you. Henry, how can you be so troublesome? I never saw you behave in this way before. Miss Beverly, madam, said Henrietta, again retreating, is so kind as to pardon me, and I was so much surprised at seeing her that I hardly knew what I was about. The young ladies, ma'am, said Mr. Hobson, have a mighty way of saluting one another till such time as they get husbands, and then I'll warrant you they can meet without any salutation at all. That's my remark at least. 
and what I have seen of the world has set me upon making it. This speech led Cecilia to check, however artless, the tenderness of her fervent young friend, whom she was much seized by meeting in such company, but who seemed not to dare understand the frequent looks which she gave her expressive of a wish to be alone with her. Come, ladies, continued the facetious Mr. Hobson, what if we were all to sit down and have a good dish of tea, and suppose, Mrs. Belfield, you was to order us a fresh round of toast and butter? Do you think the young ladies here would have any objection? And what if we were to have a little more water in the tea kettle, not forgetting a little more tea in the teapot? What I say is this, let us all be comfortable. That's my notion of things. And a very good notion too, said Mrs. Belfield, for you who have nothing to vex you. Ah, ma'am, you have heard, I suppose, about my son. Gone off, nobody knows where, left that lord's house where he might have lived like a king, and gone out into the wide world nobody knows for what. Indeed, said Cecilia, who from seeing him in London concluded he was again with his family, and has he not acquainted you where he is? No, ma'am, no, cried Mrs. Belfield. He's never once told me where he is gone, nor let me know the least about the matter, for if I did, I would not taste a dish of tea again for a twelve month till I saw him get back again to that lord's. And I believe in my heart there is never such another in the three kingdoms, for he has sent here after him, I dare say, a score of times. And no wonder, for I will take upon me to say he won't find his fellow in a hurry, lord as he is. As to his being a lord, said Mr. Hobson, I'm one of them that lay no great stress upon that, unless he has got a good long purse of his own, and then to be sure a lord's no bad thing. But as to the matter of saying, Lord, such a one, how do you do? And Lord, such a one, what do you want? And such sort of compliments, which in my mind, it's a mere nothing in comparison of a good income. As to your son, ma'am, he did not go the right way to work. He should have begun with business and gone into pleasure afterwards. And if he had but done that, I'll be bold to say we might have had him at this very minute drinking tea with us over this fireside. My son, sir, said Mrs. Belfield rather angrily, was another sort of a person than a person of business. He always despised it from a child, and come of it what may. I'm sure he was born to be a gentleman. As to his despising business, said Mr. Hobson very contemptuously, why so much the worse, for business is no such despisable thing. And if he had been brought up behind a counter, instead of dangling after these same lords, 
why he might have had a house of his own over his head and been as good a man as myself a house over his head said mrs belfield why he might have had what he would and have done what he would if he had but followed my advice and put himself a little forward i have told him a hundred times to ask some of those great people he lived amongst for a place at court for i know they have so many they hardly know what to do with them and it was always my design from the beginning that he should be something of a great man but i never could persuade him though for anything i know as i have often told him if he had but a little courage he might have been an ambassador by this time and now all of a sudden to be gone nobody knows where i'm sorry indeed said cecilia who knew not whether most to pity or wonder at her blind folly but i doubt not you will hear of him soon as to being an ambassador ma'am said mr hobson it is talking quite out of character those sort of great people keep things of that kind for their own poor relations and cousins what i say is this a man's best way is to take care of himself the more those great people see you want them the less they like your company let every man be brought up to business and then when he has made his fortune he may walk with his hat on why now there was your friend ma'am turning to cecilia that shut out his brains without paying anybody herself pray how was that being more genteel than standing behind a counter and not owing a shilling do you think a young lady cried mrs belfield warmly can bear to hear of such a thing as standing behind a counter i'm sure if my son had ever done it i should not expect any lady would so much as look at him and yet though i say it she might look a good while and not see many such persons let her look where she pleased and then he has such a winning manner into the bargain that i believe in my heart there's never a lady in the land could say no to him and yet he has such a prodigious shyness i never could make him own he had so much as asked the question and what lady can begin first why no said mr hobson that would be out of character another way now my notion is this let every man be agreeable and then he may ask what lady he pleases and when he is a mind of a lady he should look upon a frown or two as nothing for the ladies frown in courtship as a thing of course it is just like a man swearing at a coachman why he is not a bit more in a passion only he thinks he shan't be minded without it well for my part said mrs belfield i'm sure if i was a young lady and most especially if i was a young lady of fortune and all that i should like a modest young gentleman such as my son for example better by half 
than a bold swearing young fellow that would make a point to have me whether i would or no ha 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 cried mr hobson but the young ladies are not of that way of thinking they are all for a little life and spirit don't i say right young ladies cecilia who could not but perceive that these speeches were levelled at herself felt offended and tired and finding she had no chance of any private conversation with henrietta arose to take leave but while she stopped in the passage to inquire when she could see her alone a footman knocked at the door who having asked if mr belfield lodged there and been answered in the affirmative begged to know whether miss beverley was then in the house cecilia much surprised went forward and told him who she was i have been ma'am said he with a message to you at mr monckton's in soho square but nobody knew where you was and mr monckton came out and spoke to me himself and said that all he could suppose was that you might be at this house so he directed me to come here and from whom sir is your message from the honourable mr delvile ma'am in st james's square he desires to know if you shall be at home on saturday morning the day after to-morrow and whether you can appoint mr briggs to meet him by twelve o'clock exactly as he shan't be able to stay above three minutes cecilia gave an answer as cold as the message that she would be in soho square at the time he mentioned and acquaint mr briggs of his intention the footman then went away and henrietta told her that if she could call some morning she might perhaps contrive to be alone with her and added indeed i wish much to see you if you could possibly do me so great an honour for i am very miserable and have nobody to tell so ah miss beverley you that have so many friends and that deserve as many again you little know how hard it is to have none but my brother's strange disappearing has half broke our hearts cecilia was beginning a consolatory speech in which she meant to give her private assurances of his health and safety when she was interrupted by mr albany who came suddenly into the passage henrietta received him with a look of pleasure and inquired why he had so long been absent but surprised by the sight of cecilia he exclaimed without answering her why didst thou fail me why appoint me to a place thou wert quitting thyself thou thing of fair professions thou inveiler of esteem thou vain delusive promiser of pleasure you condemn me too hastily said cecilia if i failed in my promise it was not owing to caprice or insincerity but to a real and bitter misfortune which incapacitated me from keeping it i shall soon however nay i am already at your disposal if you have any commands for me i have always answered he commands for the rich for i have always compassion for the poor come to me then at mr monckton's in soho square 
cried she, and hastened into her chair, impatient to end a conference which she saw excited the wonder of the servants, and which also now drew out from the parlour Mr. Hobson and Mrs. Belfield. She then kissed her hand to Henrietta, and ordered the chairman to carry her home. It had not been without difficulty that she restrained herself from mentioning what she knew of Belfield. When she found his mother and sister in a state of such painful uncertainty concerning him. But her utter ignorance of his plans, joined to her undoubted knowledge of his wish of concealment, made her fear doing mischief by officiousness, and think it wiser not to betray what she had seen of him, till better informed of his own views and intentions. Yet, willing to shorten a suspense so uneasy to them she determined to entreat mr monckton would endeavour to find him out and acquaint him with their anxiety that gentleman when she returned to his house was in a state of mind by no means enviable missing her at tea he had asked miss bennet where she was and hearing she had not left word he could scarce conceal his chagrin Knowing, however, how few were her acquaintances in town, he soon concluded she was with Miss Belfield, but not satisfied with sending Mr. Delvile's messenger after her, he privately employed one in whom he trusted for himself to make inquiries at the house without saying whence he came. But though this man was returned, and he knew her safety, he still felt alarmed. He had flattered himself from the length of time in which she had now done nothing without consulting him. She would scarce even think of any action without his previous concurrence. And he had hoped by a little longer use to make his counsel become necessary, which he knew to be a very short step from rendering it absolute nor was he well pleased to perceive by this voluntary excursion a struggle to cast off her sadness and a wish to procure herself entertainment it was not that he desired her misery but he was earnest that all relief from it should spring from himself and though far from displeased that delvile should lose his sovereignty over her thoughts he was yet of opinion that till his own liberty was restored he had less to apprehend from grief indulged than grief allayed one could but lead her to repining retirement the other might guide her to a consolatory rival he knew well however it was as essential to his cause to disguise his disappointments as his expectations and certain that by pleasing alone he had any chance of acquiring power he cleared up when cecilia returned who as unconscious of feeling as of owing any subjection to him preserved uncontrolled the right of acting for herself however desirous and glad of occasional instruction she told him where she had been and related her meeting belfield and the unhappiness of his friends and hinted her wish that he could be informed what they suffered 
Mr. Monckton, eager to oblige her, went instantly in search of him, and returning to supper, told her he had traced him through the bookseller, who had not the dexterity to parry his artful inquiries, and had actually appointed him to breakfast in Soho Square the next morning. He had found him, he said, writing, but in high spirits and good humour. He had resisted for a while his invitation on account of his dress, all his clothes but the very coat which he had on being packed up and at his mother's, but when laughed at by Mr. Monckton for still retaining some foppery, he gaily protested what remained of it should be extinguished, and acknowledging that his shame was no part of his philosophy, declared he would throw it wholly aside, and in spite of his degradation, renew his visits at his house. I would not tell him, Mr. Monckton continued, of the anxiety of his family. I thought it would come more powerfully from yourself, who having seen, can better enforce it. Cecilia was very thankful for this compliance with her request, and anticipated the pleasure she hoped soon to give Henrietta by the restoration of a brother so much loved and so much regretted. She sent meantime to Mr. Briggs the message she had received from Mr. Delvile, and had the satisfaction of an answer that he would observe the appointment. End of chapter 2